Today's scripture is taken from the Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for this son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because the boy of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up, he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. These are our sacred stories. Good morning. The Bible did not become the most talked about book over 2,000 years by including nice stories that made us feel good. Indeed, many of the readings can be described as confusing, hard to process, or just plain cruel, and today's story is one of those. It's why I picked it. Although, when I was looking through the scripture options for today, this one was the first that came up, and I thought, I am definitely not proclaiming on that. And then I read the others. I did think, why do I always get the hard stories? And then I realized, no, it's not me, it's the Bible. <laughs> but I'm not going to dissect Hagar's story today. I'm not a Bible scholar, and as tough as her story is, and as much as it deserves attention, it's just not where I'm headed. The story of Abraham and Hagar has a lot to dislike in it. Infidelity, slavery, possible infanticide, straight-up cruelty. But one of the hardest things for me to swallow is the clear and constant voice of God. 
I have a hard time taking stories seriously with the anthropomorphic God who speaks to you in your language right when you need it. No one I know hears God this way, at least no one who's telling me. The second hardest part of this story is that not only is God chatty with the characters, but God doesn't bother to chat about the stuff that we find appalling. God's focus is on relaying the message of Hagar's son's future. It sure would have been nice if a, hey Abraham, maybe don't own other humans or cheat on your wife was thrown in next to, I'll make a great nation of him. <laughs> but let's face it, if the story of these half-brothers was just two boys who lived next door to each other and God liked them, so nations were made out of them, we wouldn't be talking about it today. This story is the clickbait of its time. We have to remember that these biblical scholars were not thinking, I'm going to write a story for the Bible that is just going to be revered for thousands of years. They were writing stories to explain things they didn't understand, stories they wanted people to read and think about, sort of like authors do today, and apparently sex and cruelty does sell. You may know that my favorite version of the Bible, and there are many to choose from, is the Poverty and Justice Bible. Every passage in here that revolves around issues of poverty and injustice are highlighted in orange, like that. And it won't surprise you that the entire passage today is highlighted in orange. And you can see it real easily because it's the only one, even on the next page where it's continued, it's the only thing highlighted. Hang on, I'm gonna show you the entire passage. There's a lot of injustice in this passage. Now, when I was writing children's Sunday school lessons, the Bible stories didn't seem quite so unapproachable. It was easier to overlook the uncomfortable stories in the Bible and focus on the simplified message that was usually about love or sharing or compassion, all those things that adults still struggle with. And while that's a great approach, we really can't ignore the uncomfortable pieces, the ones that are hard to say, these are our sacred stories after we read them. It doesn't make them go away. It doesn't mean others won't talk about them. And it doesn't mean we won't continue to wonder about them. But what turning away from hard or uncomfortable stories might do is make it easier and easier to ignore other hard situations like the ones we hear about every day in the news. I often hear people say, in response to one of the many unprecedented events of our times, well, it's always been like this, or this is just the cycle of history. It isn't the first time democracy has been in danger, just to pull a hypothetical example. <laughs> and while those statements may be true, it doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean it's not hard, and it doesn't mean it's not worth fighting for. An equally ineffective approach that I will admit to taking when faced with uncomfortable news is, I'm just gonna focus on the good in the world. There are really positive things that are important right now. And again, that's true, but it doesn't make the uncomfortable any less real. For as long as I can remember, and at age 53, I've been remembering things for probably four and a half decades, I'm gonna say. 
the world has been trying to solve peace in the Middle East. It's something I almost don't even think about now. And of course, because I don't live in that day-to-day -day reality, that's easier for me. But when that phrase is uttered, it triggers this response of tuning it out. Kind of like when God says, I will make a nation of him, same response. But eventually you have to listen. You have to face that stuff that makes you uncomfortable. Step into the uncomfortable zone, drag that discomfort into the light of day and look at it more clearly. We don't wanna let the uncomfortable become the comfortably avoidable. I'm going to share two recent news events that when they came out, I initially just kind of rolled my eyes and turned away from. I avoided it. First, the Southern Baptist Convention. Y'all know where I'm going with this. So, and I'm quoting, members of the Southern Baptist Convention approved an amendment to their constitution that says their churches must only have any kind of men as any kind of pastor or elder as qualified by scripture. And then they voted to kick out two churches that allowed women to have leadership roles in the church, including preaching. And this, of course, is appalling, and it made me angry and uncomfortable. But as I thought on it, I was like, it's not really surprising. The SBC did not suddenly not want women in leadership roles. Frankly, it should have been news that there were women holding leadership roles in Southern Baptist churches. The second news story that was too cringeworthy for me to follow, one parent lodged one complaint at a school in a Miami-Dade K-8 school in Florida about Amanda Gorman's poem, The Hill We Climb, read at President Biden's inauguration. Now, I often hear about parents and school boards and the right-wing takeover of extremists, and I know that this is a real issue in Texas as well. And you may have heard about this story and read like me that after that one parental complaint, Florida banned the poem from its school system, but it didn't. It wasn't even banned from that school. The book with the poem was moved to middle school only and wasn't available to elementary schools. But because of this constant inevitability of this right-wing takeover, I didn't deep dive into that story. Now, don't get me wrong, the SBC's action is abhorrent. The restriction of an amazing poem by a young black female author, even by one school, it's not okay. But because I wasn't willing to read or think further about these uncomfortable situations, I allowed myself to get comfortable with avoidance. I allowed myself to be open to the clickbait headlines so that I wouldn't have to do the hard work. We can't deep dive into every news story we hear or even every Bible story for that matter. But the ones that make you uncomfortable, that give you pause, that make you angry, or even the ones that make you a little too happy, take the time, spend the energy, find out more. Do you know what else one parent's complaint in Florida did? It put Amanda Gorman's books back on the top seller list. Following a Florida school banning, the Hillby Climb sales have skyrocketed 
for the presidential inauguration poem, as well as the poets Call Us What We Carry and Change Sings. The pieces of work have even taken over Amazon's bestseller list, plus the pre-order for Gorman's upcoming children's book, Something Someday, is number two on Amazon's best-selling new release books on prejudice and racism. I want to circle back and say that I know I started this by saying I'd become comfortable with avoiding the phrase peace in the Middle East, and no, I have not found any secret sauce to that conundrum. Also, the SBC will continue to disappoint, I'm afraid. I have seriously considered, but not yet acted on, and if you like this idea, please feel free to steal it, writing to those ousted SBC churches and congratulating them. Congratulating them on their freedom, congratulating them on letting women take leadership roles, sharing with these rejected churches how much richer my own church is from accepting all voices, not just male heterosexual ones. Now, we all know the world's not fair. My mother said that exact phrase to me every day, practically. Um, as I complained of some presumed benefit my brother was getting that I was not. I'm sure psychologists today would tell parents that they shouldn't give vague, meaningless answers like that. But you know what? I got the message. I understood loud and clear that the world would not treat me fairly for the sake of fairness. If I wanted fairness, I was going to have to fight for it, probably forever. And despite that knowledge, we want fairness. We want it from our God, from our country. Knowing that no one said life was fair doesn't stop us from wanting it. And it's especially hard when the unfair or the unjust is spelled out so clearly, when it's literally the voice of God in our sacred stories ignoring the atrocities, or the voice of one parent affecting what other children can or cannot experience because of their own fear or ignorance. But don't shrink away from the unfair or the uncomfortable. Drag it into the light. Show the world what it is. Show the world what fairness looks like. That's what Covenant Church did last night at Houston's Pride Parade. Shining a light on what a fair world can look like, and no one will ever mistake us for a community that is comfortably avoiding what is just. Amen.